Welcome to Dublin Tech Talks, The New Normal, Ireland's leading technology startup and leadership podcast. We talk with leaders in Ireland and around the world to get their thoughts on business, leadership, funding, scaling, work practices, well-being, and everything in between. The New Normal is brought to you by Icon Accounting, Ireland's leading and fastest growing provider of one-stop shop accountancy and compliance services for independent professional contractors in Ireland. On today's show, we are talking with Lucinda Kelly, Poppertie's CEO. Poppertie connects location intelligence for targeting audiences and measuring campaigns on an easy-to-use self-service platform. Hope you enjoy. Thanks very much for joining us today, Lucinda. Um, really good to see you. Nice to see you too, and thank you for inviting me on the show. Yeah, no, it's good to see you. So, uh, Poppertie, do you want to talk us through a bit more in depth about the product, where it came from, and kind of where you are at the moment? Sure, yeah. So I set up the business in 2016 um, and it started as a basic marketplace connecting brands with vacant retail spaces for marketing and retail promotions. Um, and then we evolved the business based on feedback to focus um, on data, enabling brands to select the right location based on their target audience and actually giving them the ability to measure in-store performance, so footfall and audience profiles. Um, so and we and we trade across the data product is only available in the UK based on Telefonica being our key partner or data partner and investor um, and currently in Ireland we trade just with the basic platform. Okay great and, and where did the the idea come from in relation to the kind of marrying people up into space and location um, I, I saw a uh, when one of your talks at tech starters and you mentioned how you how it came you were talking to airbnb and it kind of came from there um, yeah. do you want to give us a bit of a background in, in into how you came up with the idea sure yeah like i mean so so i had worked in paddy power before and was not on the marketing team i was more on, online and mar or mobile but very much saw the 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 amount of money spent on um physical marketing or brand awareness or stunt campaigns and it was always a challenge to actually measure those. That's one thing about looking for um, new locations to get messages out to audiences. Um, and in parallel to that, I had, um, I had been looking at the Airbnb model and the shared economy and thought that is really the future, uh, connecting different things together through a platform. Um, and then I had been keeping an eye on vacancy rates. So I've always been interested in property and time back to my comment on Paddy Power, how we use spaces to actually engage customer groups. Um, it started off really as Airbnb for pop-ups. Um, so using vacant spaces that already have good footfall, because a lot of them would be in high street areas and with good footfall and letting brands create experiences or create messaging to customers, whether it's a sales channel or a marketing channel. So that, that's pretty much how it was born. And when I set it up, I thought I was a bit of a genius. I thought this is a brilliant idea, no one's doing it. But in fact, there were a couple of players doing it. Um, two other big ones that had already fundraised and were a couple of years old. So that can be a good and a bad thing. But yeah, that's how it started. I was just about to say it could be a great thing because you can see, <laughs> see, see what they did wrong and make it better. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. So obviously, you know, we'll, we'll call it out. Footfall isn't that big at the moment. And um marketing spend is, is probably at its lowest for a lot of businesses. Uh, it must be a challenge for, for a business that depends on, you know, branding, marketing and footfall. Yeah. So 
I think with COVID, we're in a really tough time. So you can imagine we are a retail business, technically, and we're dependent on people and we're dependent on spaces. And that currently is at zero with what our assets are. So what we've recognized, and to your comment on marketing spend, we would assume that marketing directors and marketing budgets will shift over the next 18 months. And we would assume that the experiential marketing in its current format that we address, which would be pop-ups, will actually um, won't be uh, it won't be growing the way we thought it would, and which it was growing. Mm. Um, and there were really good plans for so that these experiential marketing pop-ups, but we believe that type of budget will be put more into digital channels. Um, and on top of that, footfall when people are allowed back out, um, we're we're sort of making an assumption that footfall in six months time will be at about 30% of, of what it is. Uh, that, it, I don't know, that's our right. assumption. It could be 20, it could be 60, it's not gonna be 100%, we know that. On top of that, we do a lot of stuff in shopping centers and there's gonna be a huge amount of restrictions and what, what people can and can't do. Do they have to book to go to the, to the store? Do they have to do a one-way system? So all these restrictions are going to put uh, marketers off from doing experiential marketing or pop-ups so what we're going through at the moment is a pivot of the business and actually looking at how we can continue to work with landlords who will want to fill spaces we know that a lot of shops won't open back up so we're assuming there's going to be a higher vacancy rate um, across the uk and ireland and we're actually rather than focusing on the marketing budget or the experiential marketing we're taking a step back, looking at the retailers who've been struggling and seeing is there a new business model that we could potentially put uh, smaller retailers and similar into vacant spaces and look at a new new way to commercialise it. Okay, great. It's um, yeah, just as probably you felt things <laughs> were starting to to move and to to generate momentum. You know, a big 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 block comes in the middle of it. So, like one one of your one of the things that impressed me about your product was the the data side of it um and the use of real time data or you know data gathered at footfall and and that kind of area was that a was that a a focus of the business early to be a a data driven business or was that something that kind of came with listening and feedback from from customers yeah like it was it that that product was the product that helped us raise our seed round. And really what it came from was twofold. One was customer feedback uh, based on really targeting marketers who had lots of amazing data for online or digital campaigns. And if they're to increase their spend on experiential marketing or pop-ups, they, they wanted similar data points to be able to say, look, we need to justify to the, to the senior people that this works. So how do we actually measure it? That's one thing. And two is actually, when in back end of 2016, looking at the competitive landscape and looking at um, appear here in storefront here, the two leaders that I spoke about earlier, it was like, how do we really differentiate our product and try and be one step ahead of the crowd based on them hopefully making some mistakes and being the very, very early adopters of this model. Um, and that's how the data product came about. So it wasn't, we will, from day one, it wasn't like, I'm gonna have a data AI type startup. It's just what evolved based on customer demand and what we believed to be market demand in the future. Okay, great. And th there must've been difficulties there. You know, you're not, you're a marketing background. How did you go about kind of creating the right platforms? And, and did you, you mentioned again, 
um, on one that, on, on on different things I've seen and heard is that you you use a lot of networking and a lot of uh, mentors in relation to that. Was that how that came about, or what way did you do it? Yeah, like I I think I I'm I'm really lucky that I have a great network and I am real a one to really pick up the phone and meet people and chat and chat through ideas and I'm a real many to many and try things and things will fail and then one of them might work. So with the data originally we'd just use social media APIs or social media data to look at audiences and we fudged it a little bit with prospective investors kind of going, this is what's going to happen and this is going to be amazing. But really there was not enough critical mass on social media data to be really accurate on audience insights like gender or age or what we were getting. And one key influencer was um, a guy called Johnny Devitt who was CMO in Paddy Power. I'm ex Paddy Power and he had said, um, you need to work with Telefonica and actually even if he's listening, or I'm going to say it to him, but I'm very grateful of that because he connected me with a person in there and I was already validating to the UK because we, wanted, we knew we wanted to be there. And one thing led to the next and we started working with them and subsequently they invested in us as well and we receive um, exclusivities on, on, on some of their data, which is amazing. And that their data is the backbone of the data set, which gives us incredible accuracies um, and data points versus that's, that's people's it? mobile data is it yeah it's mobile yeah. data of 27 million handsets wow. in the uk it's all anonymized and aggregated because yeah. i know there's a lot of questions around gdpr um and also with covid there's a lot of talk around mobiles being watched and people not happy with that but this is very much like crowd behaviors yeah. so it's like never... the google maps of clustering and you know seeing where people are in traffic and that kind of stuff exactly exactly yeah. and you know that's a good good way to look at it because People forget, I know when you go onto websites or apps now, they say accept cookies and legally have to have that, but it's happening all the time anyway. And people, I don't know, they shouldn't get too, too concerned about it. It's only if there's any way that someone could reverse engineer and find out who you are, or what you're doing. That's, that's where there's an issue. And, and that's certainly something that we don't, there's no ability to be able to do that with our data. As people keep buying smart tech, they, you know, if they're, they're worried about cookies and what people are listening to, that's a, that's a whole different thing. You know, yeah, exactly. smart tech, basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's run on data. So in, in relation to, um, just going to move in, in relation to the startup scene in, in Dublin, you, you and Ireland and London, you're, you're on the, you're on the scene kind of 2016, 17. So the last four years, uh, how have you found, you know, openness to, to new product to you know how you've been able to develop the company funding and other areas like that you mentioned you went through a seed run did you use any other kind of funding me mechanisms so honestly i'm not as on top of the irish scene as the uk scene however in saying that i'm back in ireland the last few months and i have a couple of irish founder whatsapp groups and i'm getting the lows and the highs and everything that's going on in the irish scene more than i was the last two years but the, so we started in Ireland and we started as an NDRC company and NDRC have been hugely supportive. That's still where our Irish office is, was based. I don't know what the story <laughs> is with COVID, but that's our Irish office. Um, and they were our first investor and have been hugely supportive. Um, and then we had Enterprise Ireland through the HPSU with Growing Capital and they have been incredible partners and you know, there are different people in there. They're just so willing. I can't say enough good things about Enterprise Ireland. Um, so, so the connection at the time, 2016, 2017, there's brilliant events. Everything that I went to in Ireland was great. 
And then going over to the UK, we got onto the Wire Accelerator, which is part of Telefonica. And again, networking. And um, the only thing about the UK scene, um, you're put in front of a lot of investors. It might be part of the programme. And like, I think about 20, what are we now? 2020, 2018, 2019. And, you know, there's a lot of money in London. And there's a lot of no's. And, you know, when we're looking for future investments, I got a lot of no's. And I still get a lot of no's. And then you get the people who say yes. So you just sort of get immune to it. But the scene itself, up until COVID, was very healthy in the UK. And a lot of networks, a lot of groups. There's something on every night if you want to go out to it. Um, and really good communities. And again, I find WhatsApp brilliant to keep in touch right to this day with the different, with the different communities. Well, and, and just in relation to London itself, it, it does seem like um, a world of opportunity for startup clubs there. The startup scene, the fintech scene, everything is, is, is busy or was busy. Has that, has that allowed you, as you natural, it seems to be a very progressive um, networker, has that, has that opened up opportunities to you? Has that allowed you to get better at your product or, you know, how has that kind of helped? Well, yeah, I mean, across all our customers are through contacts or through networking, all UK-based um, prospect investors, all through networking. And the UK market is so much bigger than Ireland that it was one of the actual advisors on NDRC had always said, get off the island early. And I'll always remember that it was a guy called Harry and he was brilliant and it was really good advice. And also coming from Paddy Power, our addressable market was the UK. So I was always conditioned to sort of get out of Ireland, but always wanted to be in Ireland personally. So yeah, like it's just bigger, it's a bigger pond to do everything. And it's very focused on startups. And it's one of the, like last year, London and Partners brought brought um, me and 10 other female founders to New York, all paid for for the week. And that was an incredible trip, meeting investors, meeting partners, meeting accelerators. Um, and there's those type of opportunities that are that are really good. In saying that, there are really good ones in Ireland as well that do that. So I think once you put yourself out there and get your name out there, it really helps with the networking and the opportunities. Yeah, we, we, we spoke with Maeve uh, Neefsey as well from um, Saratoga Insights and her product is focused at the US market. Um, okay. She built built in Ireland, or with San Fran in Ireland, but it yeah. wasn't focused on the Irish market at all, um, which she says is like nearly more important to stop thinking just your business should be Irish based. It needs to, it needs to look further afield, which is something that, you know, just resonates with what you just said there. Yeah, and I really admire, like, there is this kind of thing that, oh, to be in the USA, like, I totally get you need loads of money, and it would be burnt very quickly. But there are really admiral Irish companies that have their head offices in Ireland, I won't start saying names, but that are doing a massive revenue in the US based out of Ireland. And there's always this perception, no, you have to move out. And I get that. But actually, it is possible. So that's something that, you know, when I think about things in the future, that you can do it from Ireland. Yeah, no, she was more focused on the market itself rather yeah. than look at the Irish market. So it was, exactly. uh, you know, the revenue bases are bigger and, you, could, you know, it's, e- it's, it's easier sometimes to sell. Um, in, in relation to the future, nice segue for myself there. Um, <laughs> you know, the business has fundamentally changed. You, you, you said that earlier. Um, have, have you, as a business now, looked at how you're going to grow and scale differently? Is there, is there new new challenges that you've identified and said okay great this is where we're going to go and and you know you're based in london is that 
you know, it's going to be more challenging coming back and forward over the next while. You know, what what is next? What what is the kind of near yeah, like I, I don't even know when I'm getting to London next. To London, <laughs> we have an office in London, and I don't know when my next meeting is with Telefonica and in London and all the partners. So there's a big question mark. You know, mm. the property will survive and will grow as an entity, um, but if we take this, the two components is the matching the spaces with the brands or the retailers, and then there's the data. The data has a question mark on it around the growth opportunities um, based on less marketers, less retailers and all that. So we're tr still trying to figure it out. Um, and But one thing will, will remain the same is our markets are going to be UK and Ireland. I think, you know, we're looking at pivoting the existing value proposition for the matching. So it's not just like we look at with all the limitations and spaces and you know you think about the pubs and the restaurants and it's going through such a hard time actually mm. our value proposition might be extended to look at all types of spaces rather than just the retail spaces and then we need to look at the likes of the governments and the planning for what a space is currently allowed to be used at and actually potentially lobby and go you need to there's just a new world out there for physical spaces and I think property has an opportunity to work with the demand and the change in society and what we do with it so that's what we're going through at the moment and then with the data there might be new metrics that people are looking for so rather than you know us measuring the typical I don't know Diageo campaign with its um, footfall and dwell times and age and gender and propensity to spend actually we might need to have other types of metrics so it's all there but it's it's I, we I feel we're probably like a lot of other businesses and startups at the moment it's just figuring it out over the next six months yeah I wouldn't just say startups I'd say there's a lot oh, of well-established yeah, yeah. well businesses that yeah. are questioning oh god what are we doing next um before kind of March February time what, what you know obviously you came came over a lot of challenges and, and different things as a startup does what would have been your kind of three main challenges and things that you're proudest that you overcame um biggest challenges i suppose number one is the adoption to our product was slower than we thought but on the flip side whenever we had the results of our pilots we've had 100 positive amazing feedback so that is brilliant but that adoption is slower leading to one of the biggest challenges follow-on investment and the investors sitting and waiting for more key data points to make that decision. So that that is tedious. Um, and I was always told that when I set up that fundraising is hard. I was like, ah, we're grand. But um, it's not grand. It's really hard. It is really, really hard. And I feel for every founder out there. But um, um, and is that two? So number three, what else? Yeah, like the problem with me is I'm really ambitious and you know, even talking about going over to New York and then I see these huge opportunities in, in China and you really have to, I get so excited about opportunities and I need to make sure we just do what we're doing in one or two markets, do it really well and then grow. So it's to manage that. Um, and one of the biggest challenges, which most people right now have is cash flow and, yeah. and making sure we manage that um, accordingly. And, and speaking of cash flow, I'm not going into details, but do you have office space? Are you using shared office space? Or what way was it? Is it a... So we're really lucky on the office space, but who knows, like I said, we, in, we've got NDRC space in Dublin and we've got Wire Telefonica offices oh, okay. in the UK. So we actually don't pay rent. But um, I saw there yesterday, Twitter are 
the first company. I don't know if you read this. That yeah, to go, to go full remote. Yeah, full forever. remote. Yeah, and it's really interesting because through my own journey the last couple of months with COVID, you know, I think when I talk to anyone, they go through the cycle. The beginning, you're all over the place and then you're figuring things out. And now I'm at a point where I'm very productive the last two weeks. Mm. Um, and it's almost like, you know, if you'd asked me the question six weeks ago, you know, and we said Twitter, we're doing that, I'd be like, absolutely not. But we're just so conditioned to working in an office that actually I think it is possible to go fully remote. And it makes me think about, and speaking with my co-founder James around what's the future with our offices and where, where we position ourselves. So it's really interesting times. I love it in that sense that we are still trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's what, what is the new working environment? Yeah, I've, I've, Yeah, we're, we're releasing a survey next week around, um, you know, just, just we surveyed all our members and it was only, I think 20, 25% want to work in an office more than four days a week going forward. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, and even at that, I think about 15, 16% want to work remotely full time now moving forward. Um, and so I was only thinking about, you know, us and we are addressable market is spaces, but actually, you know, all the office buildings around Dublin that were being built over the last five, 10 years and with these changes, which are so likely, Twitter will not be the first, and I no. will put my money on one or two more that I think we'll announce in the next couple of weeks. But then these vacant spaces, again, it's not necessarily Grafton Street, but actually how do we enable um, experiences in the physical world in new types of spaces? And it could end up being all these vacant office blocks around the place for the, for the new type of events or whatever, whatever as, as, a, as, a, as a meetup founder it's um it's one of the hardest things to do is to find spaces to host um just um just it's so frustrating especially in dublin where well you might be able to do that through property in a few months there you go <laughs> i won't take I, I won't take all your ideas uh, <laughs> just before before we go um i'm guessing it's an enjoyable journey funding your founding your own business and kind of seeing it grow um you've mentioned around some of the learnings you know what would be your kind of three main points for people listening who are either contemplating starting or who are maybe in a business at the moment and might have some frustrations around the market at the uh, you know and, and what they're trying to do do you have any kind of suggestions or thoughts for people yeah so these are i suppose personal to me there's one or two things i'm thinking about one i do think you've just it, it like anything you can think you need to be ready and get everything ready and have enough money and you've got the kids and like I can't afford this and all this and that's normal but actually just go do it and go go and put up um buy your I'll put up a landing page and start growing it on the side if you're still in the office and start thinking about it and spend a bit of time so number one just go do it you do live once and I think this time in COVID has made us realize that life is short I don't know about you but I'm finding that like I'm so inspired by so many things at the moment um the second thing is I when I set up was um was quite into this whole sort of look you have to raise money the A round the B round and all this and I think you know that's brilliant and you get capital but I do like the idea where if you can self-fund and grow something organically and not be dependent on investors I think that that's quite powerful um and reading a lot of books recently with COVID and whether it's the Ubers or the WeWorks and the stories, it's it's not completely um, alien to UK Ireland scene, some of the stuff you're reading about. I'm reading mm. one on HubSpot, that guy at the moment, and it's crazy stuff, really interesting though. Um, so there is something really nice about people that don't take external investment and grow something themselves. I really respect those. And of course, I respect people that get their money in. Um, and then maybe the third learning 
yeah, like for me, I think it's all about balance. I d definitely 2019 was the hardest year I've ever had. It was really, really tough. Um, and I was so just working and probably had a really bad balance. And now being back in Ireland, I feel much more balanced being able to ride my horses and be around my dogs and family and friends just about with COVID, <laughs> but really try and get that balance. But um, yeah, like I love the meditation and the yoga and all that stuff, which really had, helps with your headspace. That's important, I think. Yeah, I think people are finding, you know, it's not all about rushing in and out to work and doing different things anymore. So it's a, you're not the only one there, I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we'll, we'll leave it there, Lucinda. Thanks, Emil, for, for joining us today. Uh, Lucinda Kelly, CEO of Property. Um, best of luck with, with everything going forward and uh, I really hope to see some good news soon. Thank you so much and good luck with your series. It's brilliant. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the episode of The New Normal. Uh, if you want to listen to more, please subscribe to our channel on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify.